Right, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 16, please, and we'll come to, to read that in a few moments. So 2019 is well underway, and here we are, and it's the second week of February already. Quite often at the beginning of the year, and if we haven't already done so, we're making plans and we're setting goals and just of things that we want to do in the year ahead. Now, it might be through work, might be um, things that we plan to do ourselves around the house, might even be goals of holidays and different things that we want to do, but we usually at the beginning of the year set some goals or set some plans. Now, in regards to this morning's text, I have a couple of questions for you to think about. If God opens or closes a door that will change your goals or your plans, how will I respond to that? How will I respond to God changing what I have set in place that I think I should be doing? Have I even considered that this could happen? And even if you haven't set goals or made plans, how will you respond when God calls you to do something? Will you obey? In this morning's text, we will see how God is working in different people's lives. And there's a couple of pictures going on here. There's a big picture of spreading the gospel throughout Asia and Europe. But then there is more of a personal picture of how God changes lives individually. In particular, we'll be focusing on a lady by the name of Lydia and her account is found in Acts 16. I'm just going to, before we start reading, I'm just going to briefly touch on the events that have led up to where we are at the beginning of this chapter. Paul has just completed his first missionary journey, and this first journey was throughout Asia. In fact, it was uh, Paul and Barnabas who travelled around Asia, and they founded a number of churches there, and they set many hearts on fire for the gospel. Many lives were transformed. And it sounds like quite a successful tour, doesn't it? In fact, things were going quite well. But then suddenly they had to return to Jerusalem and to the Jerusalem church. And they had to go back there because they needed to seek clarification on a principle of salvation. You see, there were some men who had come down from Jerusalem and they were teaching uh, that the Gentiles, that's the people who are not Jews, had to be circumcised to be saved. So Paul and Barnabas were a bit concerned about this, so they headed back to Jerusalem and they met with the Jerusalem council and the Jerusalem council deliberated and the outcome was that circumcision was not a requirement of salvation. So you guys can breathe a sigh of relief, you don't need to book a doctor's appointment or a few days off. After this, after this had happened, Paul and Barnabas were planning to return to Asia. And they were going to do that, but they had a huge falling out with one another. So Barnabas partnered up with John Mark, and they headed off to Cyprus, and Paul partnered up with Silas, and he had the intention of returning to Asia to continue the work there. However, God had other plans. And if you were to read through those chapters that I just quickly uh, summarised, something that stands out is how God was leading them all the way through the first missionary journey. The Holy Spirit was present 
and was guiding Paul and Barnabas. They were commissioned by the Holy Spirit. They were sent by the Holy Spirit. It talks about how Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit in different circumstances. And even the Jerusalem Council was led by the Holy Spirit in their deliberation on the whole circumcision for salvation debate. And this theme continues as we read through chapter 16. Even though Paul had planned to return to Asia Minor, God intended him to spread the gospel throughout Europe. And from there the gospel would be spread throughout the world. The Holy Spirit prompted and Paul obeyed. The gospel went forth. That's the big picture. But there is also a more personal outcome to Paul obeying God's will. We see that God led Paul to a city called Philippi and to a lady by the name of Lydia. She was to become the first convert in Europe. This appointment was set up by God and through her being drawn by God's spirit and to God's word. She immediately responded and was saved. She was baptised and straight away she became involved in God's work. And we will see how she gives us a fantastic example of hospitality, an example of how she used her resources for God's glory. She served God and she served others. Now, Lydia isn't the only personal account of salvation that we'll read about this morning. I wanted to read through the whole of chapter 16 so that we get a sense of what took place while Paul and Silas were stationed there in Philippi. And there are some points that we will refer to in the other accounts which, which took place. And it's also very interesting to see who some of the people were who made up the church there. So let's pray and then let's come to God's word. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have brought your word to us so that we can come to know who you are and come to know and understand you. That, Lord, that we can understand what your will is in our lives. Lord, I pray that as we come to your word and as I speak this morning that your Holy Spirit will just prompt us where we need prompting, that you'll encourage us where we need encouragement that you'll point something out to us when we need to um, learn something new or apply something to our lives. So Lord, we just pray as we come to your word that you are with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts 16, and we're going to pick it up right at the beginning in verse 1. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted to join them, wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Next Paul and Silas travelled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia 
because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So we, and just note that that was a we then, up to now, um, the author of the, of the Bible, of this uh, book, sorry, is Luke, and he referred to Paul and Silas as they. So now he's talking we. So I, I, we assume that Luke joined them there in Troas. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothras. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went a little way outside the city to a river bank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer and we sat down to speak with some woman who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptised along with the other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home and she urged us until we agreed. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. 
he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought, he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptised. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. The next morning the city official sent the police to tell the jailer, Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, The city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, They have publicly beaten us without a trail and put us in prison and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came to the jail and apologised to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. So that's the account of their time in Philippi. Now, I must apologise for this map a little bit. Um, I did try several maps and sat down the back and I found that I could hardly read any of them. Um, though I'm starting to wonder a bit more about these things. <laughs> but um, if you can't see it, I'll just um, point out a few things. So, so here we have Jerusalem. So that's where, the, um, where they returned to after the first missionary journey. Check this out, eh? It's pretty cool. We found that out the back. Um, so they went to Jerusalem, and that's where the Council of Jerusalem was. And then they were up in Antioch, and that's where they had the fallout between Paul and Barnabas. So Barnabas joined up with John Mark, and he headed off over here to Cyprus. And Paul and Silas uh, then went through all of this area here, and they came to Lystra, and that's where they picked up Timothy to, to, to give them a hand. Um, and then as they were moving through this area here, that's where the Holy Spirit stopped them from entering into Asia. This was where they were previously, Asia Minor, which is today uh, Turkey. And they ended up in Troas. That's where they uh, met up with Luke. And uh, then they, Paul got his vision there of the man from Macedonia, saying, please come over here and help us. So off they went. Hang on, I've lost my thing. And went over here and landed in Philippi. And of course it was Philippi where all those accounts took place, where they met Lydia, where they met the Jewish woman gathering by the riverside, uh, where they had that event with the, uh, with the slave girl, and um, they got themselves landed in, in prison. So it's thought that they were in Philippi for about a year. And I read somewhere that these events took place around AD 51 to AD 52, which is some 20-odd years after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. 
And isn't it interesting to see the account of the three people who were transformed by God? We had a businesswoman, which is Lydia, who traded in purple. We had a slave girl, who was a fortune teller. And then there was a jailer. Doesn't this demonstrate the variety of people that God chooses to work through? Just imagine having those people there in your home group. Mind you, when I think about my home group, I've got a funeral director there, a building inspector, an ex-train driver. So yeah, we've got a quite a good mix. A nurse, a lady who works in a grocery shop, I better not forget my wife. It's also interesting to see that in the case of Lydia and the jailer that the Holy Spirit orchestrated divine appointments and these people heard the word of God, they believed in faith, they shared it with their households and their households responded to the word of God as well and they're all baptised. They all came to a saving knowledge of our Lord. Our first main point that we're going to be looking at this morning is knowing God's will. And we're going to focus on Paul for a little bit here and we're going to come back to Lydia and we're going to really focus on Lydia soon. But at this point we're just going to focus on Paul and him for a little bit. In Paul's case, knowing God's will occurs through the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit closes some doors and he opens a door. God's hand had a lot to play in the events that unfolded. When Paul and Silas planned this missionary trip, They intended to further expand into Asia, but God closed that door. And according to the text, that happens twice. And we're not told exactly how it happens, but we can be sure of this. God said no, no for going back into Asia. And why did he do this? Why did God do that? You know, what they planned, it seemed to be the right thing to do, didn't it? They were planning to do God's work. They were planning to, to take his gospel into, into Asia and to just to see it further expanded. Well, the obvious answer is that God had plans elsewhere for Paul and Silas, such as the city of Philippi. And this plan involved the salvation of certain individuals, Lydia and her household, the fortune-telling slave girl, the jailer and his household. And undoubtedly there were others in Philippi who were to hear the word of God and to be saved. Not only that, God also intended for them to go on from Philippi to spread the gospel further afield. Now God also may have said no to Asia because he may have been raising up others to undertake that task. Now this isn't in the text but it's a possibility that God was strengthening the established churches, raising up people not only to build their local church, but to spread the word of God in that area. And we have our own real-life example of that. The church of Walker in Ethiopia began with a missionary work from this church. And those missionaries, they went there and they set up the church and then they came back. But God raised up other people to continue the work. He raised up the local people, and they continued that work and that church has grown over the years and and it's, it's immense. Now, whatever the reason, we see that God can lead us by closing a door to where we're heading. He's setting up a roadblock and God has a purpose in doing that 
Certainly that was true in Paul and Silas's case. Paul's response to this roadblock was obedience. The Holy Spirit closed the door and Paul sensed that this is not where God wanted him to go. Paul obeyed the will of God and we see that Paul did not try to kick that door down. God not only chooses to close doors to stop Paul heading in one direction, but he gave Paul a vision to point him in the right direction. And this was Paul's vision. A man from Macedonia was standing there, pleading with him, come to Macedonia and help us. So Paul sent a vision. God sent Paul a vision. This vision pointed the way. The door was open for him to go into Europe and onto God's purposes there. The Spirit was leading him. Now I must point out that when it comes to finding out the will of God, it's not all visions and miracles. And I'm not discounting those things, but don't wait for something amazing like that to be an indicator of what God wants you to do in your life. Now when it comes to knowing God, there will be some challenges. How do I know for sure? How can I know for certain that this is God's leading and not just something that's popped up or not just me manufacturing opportunities? Well, there's not an easy answer to that. There's no magic formula. A plus B plus C equals knowing what God wants you to do. There are, however, some things that we can do that will help us. The first obvious one is to press into God and to seek him out. Trust him to continue to open and close doors that lead you in the right direction. Prayer. Pray and trust him to answer your prayer. One preacher once said that God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no and wait. Another good pointer is to ask the question, does this line up with the word of God? And it would probably also help to search your own motives. Am I doing this for me or am I truly doing it for God? Now I must also point out that I'm not advocating that being led by the Spirit is just a matter of wandering aimlessly from one situation to the next. Not every open door is the pathway to God's will. And sometimes what looks like a closed door is just a speed bump or barrier that needs to be pushed through. The key is knowing God's will and obeying it. And of course, there will be a degree of planning in bigger undertakings. I mean, if God was calling you to go with Calfane on his next missionary trip to Waka, obviously there would be um, some planning in place there. You need to be living in the Spirit, constantly worshipping and seeking God, constantly living in his word. It's about knowing God and knowing his ways. And then once we know God's will, we should act. Paul learnt the will of God. And how did he respond? We decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Paul, having come to the conclusion that this was God's will, acted with immediate obedience. 
to go where God was leading him. And there were two things going on there. First of all, he knew it was God's will, and secondly, he obeyed immediately. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and whoever else they had there, they boarded a boat and they headed off to Macedonia and they arrived in Philippi. Now a little bit about the city of Philippi. It was founded in 31 BC, so it would have been established for around about 80 years when Paul set foot there. So it was quite a young city, so everything was still fairly new. And as we read in the text, Philippi was a colony of Rome. It was a Roman colony. It therefore had a large Roman population, and as a Roman colony, Philippi would have had its own local government, which was answerable to Rome. And this also meant that it was independent of Macedonian government, and its citizens wouldn't have had to pay taxes to Macedonia. Philippi was also a prosperous and flourishing city. It's described as a major city of the district, a bit like Palmerston North in this area. Well, I was, I was waiting for the booze there, but um, anyone from Palmerston North here today? Welcome, if you are. <laughs> there, are there was heaps of trade going on there. So it was a great place to start the spread of the gospel of Europe. Now, the usual plan of attack for Paul and Silas when they came to a new city was to go to a synagogue and to, to, to speak and preach there. And the reason for this was probably that if they went to the Gentiles first, then the Jews wouldn't listen to what they had to say. However, there was no synagogue in Philippi, and this is because there wasn't a big Jewish population there. In fact, it was quite small. Now there's a Jewish custom that to start a synagogue anywhere, you need what is called a quorum or a minyan. And this was a minimum of 10 Jewish men who were beyond the age of bar mitzvah. Now I say 10, but I read somewhere else that it's 12, so I'm not sure if it's 10 or 12, but the point is that there were obviously was not a lot of Jewish people living in that city. Now, because there was no synagogue, Paul and his crew decided on the Sabbath to go out of the city to a riverbank where they hoped to find people in prayer. And they found there a group of women. Well, my first question was, when I read that, was, where are the guys? You know, here are the women that gathered on the Sabbath, presumably to pray and to talk about God's work. But there's no sign of the guys. Are they further up the river meeting there? Are they back at home in the garage tinkering? Have they gone off to the races? I don't know. One commentator states that because there wasn't a quorum, then men could not partake in any kind of formal public communal worship. And this included prayer, reading of the Torah, or the giving of public blessings. So it might have been a Jewish custom thing, Maybe that's why the guys weren't there. They were worshipping privately. Jewish women, however, could pray in groups publicly if they wanted to. And these women wanted to. They wanted to meet together and they wanted to pray publicly. Anyway, they sat down with these women 
and they started speaking with them and it was here that they met Lydia. Now there's a few things that we discover from the text about Lydia. Firstly, Lydia isn't actually from Philippi. She's from Thyatira. And where's that? Well, you may remember from Revelation that the church of Thyatira was obviously located in the city of Thyatira and that was located in Asia Minor. One thing we should note about Thyatira is that like Philippi, it was a flourishing, prosperous city of trade. We learn that Lydia is a trader of expensive purple. Uh, So she was a businesswoman. She sold purple dye and possibly purple cloth that was produced in her hometown of Thyatira by a guild of dyers. Purple cloth and dye probably are not such a big deal today. I mean, I can head on down to the warehouse and I can probably pick up a purple T-shirt for about $5. But back in that time, it was rare and it was expensive. And apparently the process to manufacture purple dye was not invented in Thyatira. It was invented in another place called Tyre. And it was, um, and get a load of this, it was manufactured from a spiny-shelled mollusk. And this mollusk was called the murex. So there you go, you have another little nugget for the next quiz night that you go on. Now apparently the the Dyers Guild in in Thyatira, they perfected a better method of producing this purple dye. So it was really, really good business. Now being a businesswoman, Lydia would have been smart, she would have been confident, she would have been independent, she would have had contacts all over town, And we know to be good in business, you need to be polite and you need to be respectful. So Lydia probably had these sorts of characteristics. She also would have been wealthy and a woman of means. And another indicator of this fact is the mention of her own household. Now, I'm not sure if there was a Mr Lydia or not. There's no indication of that in the text but it would appear that she maintained a home and possibly had household servants. And, of course, it must have been a house that was big enough to accommodate at least four extra adults for a period of some time. And we also see at the end of the chapter that it appears that in time the Church of Philippi met at her house as well. All of this indicates that she was wealthy and she was a woman of some means. So let's look at Lydia's salvation. We have read that Lydia worshipped God. According to all the scholars that I have read, Lydia was not Jewish, but she did believe in God. She was what was known as a God-fearer or a proselyte. She had apparently not yet converted to Judaism. She was obviously seeking God and had been meeting with the Jewish woman beside the river on the Sabbath. And so we see that God was drawing her to himself. In verse 14 it says, As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. Leading up to this time, we see that the Holy Spirit was working through different events leading Paul and his companions to be at this place on this day to meet this lady. And we see the Holy Spirit had been drawing Lydia to be there as well. God was drawing Lydia unto himself. 
she was searching for God, she was meeting with the Jewish woman of Philippi and she happened to be there on the day that Paul and Silas started their first outreach on European soil. She heard the gospel being spoken and the word that is used for listened here means an intent listening. She would have listened intently as they spoke about how Jesus was God's chosen Messiah. He was God's anointed one. They would have shared how he was crucified and he rose to life again. He appeared to many witnesses before ascending to heaven. They would have explained how through Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God. Now those that's not written there in the exact text, but these are the sorts of things that Paul spoke to others while speaking the gospel elsewhere in the book of Acts. And as she was listening, what happens? The Lord opened her heart and she accepted what was being said. She was saved. I think it's safe to say that when it says she accepted the word of God, she believed in Jesus, she placed her trust and faith in him, and she repented of her sins. And that is certainly inferred in the next verse, where her response was stated as being baptised along with her household. Water baptism is an outward expression of what God has done within us. It in itself is not a salvation act, but it demonstrates that salvation has taken place. So this pattern of salvation is seen throughout the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts. Now we've already read this morning about the jailer who was told that to be saved he must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then he and his household was baptised. In Acts 2, Peter tells the crowd that to be saved they must repent and let every one of you be baptised for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Philip explained the good news to an Ethiopian eunuch and upon hearing the word of God, the Ethiopian declared, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he too was baptised. And coming back to Peter again, we see that Peter preached the gospel to Cornelius' household and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were also baptised. In these examples of salvation, we have these elements present. We have the Spirit of God doing his work, drawing people towards him. We have the word of God being spoken, maybe in some cases being read. We see that there is a response to that spoken word, there's an opening of the heart towards God. Then we see that there is belief and faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he's the only way to salvation, the only way for the forgiveness of sin. And then we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon the new believer and then of course there's water baptism. So Lydia was drawn by God. She heard the good news. God opened her heart and she responded and was saved. Now what's interesting about Lydia is that the story doesn't just end there. It's not just that she was saved and that's all we hear about her. What's interesting about Lydia is what happened after she was saved. Reading from the text, 
she was baptised along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. We see immediately that she got involved with the work of God. Hang on a minute, Lydia. You've just become a Christian. You're not fully mature in Christ yet. You haven't been to Bible college. You haven't even memorised our church's statement of faith. You can't serve God. That's rubbish, isn't it? Lydia is a great example to us because she gets involved right from the get-go. She uses the resources that she has and she serves the kingdom of God. She seems to just get on with it. As Christians, we should in some way be serving the Lord, utilising the resources and the abilities that we have. God gave them to us. We shouldn't be spectators in God's kingdom. We should be participants. Are you a spectator or are you a functioning part of the body of Christ? Sometimes it goes a step further than that. This morning we've been talking about knowing God's will and obeying it. Sometimes God calls us or he opens up a door for us to undertake something that we don't have the resources for or that we don't have the ability for. That's when we really need to trust God to provide the resources and abilities that we don't have. And man, that can take a lot of faith. The key is knowing God's will and then obeying, stepping out and trusting God. So what's the first thing that Lydia did? Well, she was a witness for Christ. She must have gone back to her household, to her family and shared the good news with them. Or at the very least took Paul and Silas back to share the good news with them. She was baptised with other members of her household. And it doesn't say all of them, but it must have been at least some of them. We see something similar with the jailer. His entire household were baptised. They were all saved. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Of course we are all called to be witnesses and to be ambassadors for Christ. And a good place to start is with our family and our friends. Next we see that Lydia is serving God through her gift of hospitality. So let's talk about Christian service for a little bit. Of course there are other ways to serve God and others. But in Lydia's case, one of the ways that she served was through hospitality. She asked us to be her guests. In fact, She urged us until we agreed. Now other versions say that she implored them or she prevailed upon them. And there's a couple of aspects to this offering of hospitality. Firstly, she was serving with the resources that she had. Sure, she might have had a big house and she was well off. The point is, is that she wanted to use her resources to further the kingdom of God. She didn't have to. 
but she wanted to be involved in the ministry. And it speaks more of where her heart is than about the size of her home or her financial ability to do what she did. Now you can be hospitable regardless of your means and we should also be living out hospitality here in our home church. So you can serve God with the abilities and the resources that you have. Seek to be involved in God's work. Secondly, there was a cost to this service. Can you imagine housing four extra adults in your house for a year? I don't care how big your house is, that would be a challenge. Imagine feeding them, then you've got to uh, put up with all their different little ways and nuances. And of course, at the end of their stay, she was actually housing a couple of ex-cons. What would the neighbours say? Now, um, I must explain this little meme up here on the thing. The other day when I was contemplating this, this um, sermon and I was thinking about service and I was thinking about the cost of service, my brother sent me this little message here. I'm never going to allow my mother to go into a nursing home. She's going to stay with my brother, namely me. Accompanying that was, he said, look, Michael, you've sold your little house, you've bought a bigger house, you're going to have empty nest syndrome, you're going to get lonely. Mum should come and stay with you. My brother's very cunning. He sent the same message to my mum. She thought it was very sweet and a very, very good idea. Now, my brother's actually reneging on an earlier plan that we had in place. And, and I must point out, my mum's not quite at that stage yet. She's got a fair way to go, but I, you, you've got to plan for these things. Our, our initial plan was we're both going to chip in and we we're going to buy a caravan. And the idea of that was that she could come and stay with me for a while and spend time with the family, and then she could go and spend time with my brother for a time and spend time with his family. And then when we both had had enough, we could send her on holiday. <laughs> like a beach. Mum would wake up one morning and there she is at Castle Point. Of course we love our mum very, very much and we would um, be happy to, to serve her and um, look after her when she gets to that stage. She can even bring Dad along. Okay, anyway, there is usually a cost involved when we serve. It's not always financial, it might be time and it might be going out of your way to do something. It could be researching and preparing a Bible study. It could be putting time aside to be on your knees before the Lord. It might be spending time with people who you are not totally comfortable about, around. There's usually a cost when we serve the Lord but it's worth it. And the third thing that we see with Lydia's case is that Lydia was serving others. Lydia was selflessly serving Paul and his companions by providing them a place to live and a place from which they could minister. And it appears to have gone on from there. 
it seems that the brethren would meet at her place as well. So she might have had a bit of a house church thing happening. Undoubtedly Lydia would continue in Christian service long after the event of the account that we have read here. Well, we've covered quite a bit of ground this morning. We've spoken about salvation, we've talked about knowing God's will and when we do know God's will, how we should obey him. And we've talked about serving God, serving God with what we have at our disposal. And Lydia has given us a great example of doing that. In closing, I would like to read a verse that points to the ultimate example of serving others and of course that is the example of Jesus Christ. And this is from Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word today. And Lord, we just thank you that you have been here amongst us. Lord, we pray that your spirit will go forth and and just continue to encourage us to serve you, encourage us to serve others. And Lord, I just pray that when it comes to knowing your will, that Lord, that you will help us there, that we will first of all seek after your will, seek after what it is that you would like us to do um, in our lives. And there can be big things or small things, but Lord, can we, we need to seek after your will. So Lord, we pray that you will reveal yourself to us. And Lord, may we obey when you call us. In Jesus' name, Amen.